Business of Architecture, Episode 211. Hi, I'm Enoch Sears, and this is the podcast for architects where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. If you haven't already, go get my free architecture firm profit map over at freearchitectgift.com. It's a little video that I've prepared for you that shows the four areas that you should improve in your business to be able to increase and even double your architecture firm income. Today's podcast is sponsored by AI Advantage Partner BQE Software, the makers of BQE Core. BQE Core helps you efficiently manage people, projects, and profitability in your practice. Get your walkthrough of BQE Core by going to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. So I want to thank BQE Software for being a supporter of the Business of Architecture, allowing me to bring you the most cutting-edge information on business success practices for small firm architects on a weekly basis. Now, today is the second half of my interview with Teresa Reese, Vice President and Associate Principal at SB Architects. SB Architects is an international design firm with offices in Florida, California, and China. The firm focuses primarily on mixed-use multifamily residential and hospitality projects. In today's episode, Teresa talks about how she develops business for the firm, how she gets new projects in the door, including the exact words she uses when she makes a business development call. So without further ado, let's hop into the interview with Teresa. Here is today's show. And how much of your role and responsibility is involved in finding new work for the firm? Well, I think it's a... You know, it's, this is different than uh, sales force where, you know, everybody has to meet a quota. But we definitely, as, as partners in the, the firm, we are encouraged to continue to bring in business. And so for my own projects, most of my own projects are my clients that I brought in. How do you find that you find clients? How do clients find you? Tell me a little bit about the business development process, what you find to be successful to bring in new work for the firm. Well, so first of all, we have to do good work. So I think SB's work, our design, and our ability to execute projects speaks for itself. So having a good reputation always helps. And secondly, I think it's really important to see things from the client's perspective, understanding what what their bottom line is. And a lot of uh, my clients are, they are also my friends. You know, they invite me to events, even out of business hours. So I think establishing relationship really helps, not just in a business setting. And understand that people move around. So when you meet a person, you know whether you're going to make a connection right away. Even if that person is not working in the firm that you will currently um, do business with. Because in the development world, um, I think their skill sets are more transferable than I would say in the architectural world. And so... You know, one person can move from acquisition to development if he or she's skill set eventually developed to a certain um, level and wanted to switch. It, it's it's more transferable, 
transferable in the development world. So when you meet somebody, at least what, what I do is I remember that I'm establishing a relationship with a person. It may or may not be the firm or the company at the time. And they remember you by, you know, the conversation. And we can go from there and always share you know, share a little bit of knowledge of lessons learned. Don't be afraid to share a lesson. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I did this. And the next time I should have done that. And people would appreciate, uh, you know, being genuine and wanted to collectively elevate the profession and elevate design because I believe that good design shouldn't cause more than the bad design. If anything, bad design would cause you more because you have to tear it down and do it again which I'm assisting one of my clients to do because they acquired a brand new project and um, a lot of amenity was done incorrectly. So now the client has to, my client has to pay again, right? The construction costs one more time in addition to the purchasing costs and soft costs that's associated with the project to make the property functional. So uh, my advice to clients to always evaluate, you know, Think twice, cut once. Mm. Right in architecture school, you always measure twice and then cut once. That's right. Do a good, do a good job the first time. Right. So you know, always um, invest in the process. And sometimes I feel like in the development world, when um, we have equity partners. Um, branding companies, everybody's in, in addition to ownership, invest in the prop, in the project. Um, not everybody is going to come on board, I'm sorry, um, at the same time. And we invest a lot in the process to bring everybody on board. Um, we will use a VR process, many renderings we spend some some people would view it, oh my gosh, I can't believe you spend that much money doing renderings or doing uh, virtual reality walkthroughs for the clients. Well, you know, the, the time and money that we spend upfront doing that is um, insignificant compared to the final product because this process helps to bring all stakeholders on board and they would help us along the process rather than fight against us and, and questioning our decisions. And it also um, help us to visualize any potential areas that, you know, areas for potential redesign that we need to reconsider. So I highly recommend, um, folk, you know, invest a little more time and effort in that early design phase to really understand what the final product could be. Of course, it will be a little bit different, but um, some of our projects, for example, 72 Townsend and uh, one that we, a multifamily housing that we com just completed in San Francisco, as well as um, Ascaya, a single family home in Nevada. Um, personally, I have a hard time discerning the rendering from the actual photograph of the build product, and that, that I view it as a success. Sorry, I kind of digress a little that's, bit. Well, that, that's incredible. And I think we're going to try to get Keith on the podcast a little bit later because I know that he deals a lot with the VR and the renderings and a lot of the technology. That's that's true. And a lot of open off, uh, a lot of architecture offices have open seating and SB is no different. And we definitely um, share 
um, learn from each other through osmosis with the, the benefit of having open seating. Teresa, how do you generally find new project opportunities? Um, just talking with my friends. You know, I guess going back to my father, I talk a lot. <laughs> and uh, I also, a lot of my friends are actually not architects. They are in the development world. And I also have good relationship with consultants. And consultants, um, a lot of them would send me RFPs and see if you, you know, if I would be interested in actually received two yesterday. And um, sometimes my friends and clients decided to go into public um, sector, and we ended up being in their housing RFP um, broadcast as well. Okay, so you've built up relationships over time with your friends, and mm-hmm. you find product opportunities that way. Uh, you, it, it, the way you're presenting the, the you just talking to them, it sounds a little bit random and haphazard. Uh, do you when you talk to them, uh, are you asking them about product opportunities, or do those things just come up naturally in conversation? Oh, no. You never start like that. Sorry, I should clarify that. Um, I always start by asking, you know, beyond general greeting, is uh, where where do they think um, the market is? Where are um, and where are they focusing on? And or I, I would say, oh, I heard, you know, this market is is hot, or I don't understand why this is happening. And more often than not, they are willing to share their insight with me. And they say, well, I don't know if that's true because of that. And I say, well, are you doing anything about it, or are you doing anything that can back up what you're saying? And they would say, well, yeah, I'm kind of looking at this this X Y Z. And then we, I would say, oh, interesting. I, I was thinking this other way and try to find synergy in the conversation. Yep. So it sounds like you you go and obviously um, you've made it clear that this is relationship built. These are these people are friends and long term relationships. However, when you when you're uh, you know making when you're touching bases with them uh, to see how they're doing. You'll ask a general question about the market or something, which will then open up the dialogue that might lead to potential opportunities. Right. Or sometimes you, I will see something and I say, wait a second. I, I saw that this apartment, you know, what, what's the um, per square foot cost is this. Is this. And yet at the same time, I saw another article saying the rent is declining. And I would just use that and shoot an email to my friends and said, is this true? What is going on? It seems a little bit um, random. Is this is this one off scenario, or is the market really cooling off? And if not, uh, you know, why would you say that? Are you working on something that leads you to say that? What are you using your performa? Start speaking their language. You know, per square foot cost, construction cost. You know, is this? Or I would hear something for um, a couple of years ago. There were two major fires, um, one in San Francisco and um, one in, I want to say, Texas. And, of course, Oakland, there's been a lot of construction fires, too. Now, with that, I don't know if that's still the case, but, but a couple of years ago, it significantly affected the construction cost, I mean, insurance cost. 
for construction. And nobody likes to pay insurance premium because that's a cost that you cannot realize and get a return on. So what can we do to mitigate that and use that as a lead conversation to talk to friends and developers that are actually doing this specific type of work and see if they're interested in going to a different type of construction and thus increase density. So a lot of it is also keep an eye and, and uh, on what's going on in the market. Okay, and speaking about what's going on, you did talk about construction types. I'm just curious from construction types, what are you seeing? Uh, what are the kind of products you're doing in terms of construction type? So in San Francisco, we definitely have a type, uh, or in California, type 5, type 3. Um, there's a wood frame over podium that's still pretty standard. And we're doing, uh, in, in Miami, mostly a type 1, which is concrete construction for high rises. Yeah, and why do you think there's the difference between the you know California podium, stick frame over podium, and then Miami all, all concrete? Well, I think it has to do with the location. So, for example, with the project we just finished in San Francisco itself, in order to get the density, it, it, it's a type one construction. But if you go to East Bay or the peninsula, um, some of them are, you know, because of the building code change, like you, type three construction, you can get a pretty high density out of it now. So type three construction or wood modified wood frame is still a very cost effective model and it gives you more flexibility than type one because in the type one construction um, your parking will govern everything so the parking modules are usually different than the housing module and the structure has got to carry all the way through so you add a complexity um, in our we are doing the tallest um, building in Fort Lauderdale and also St. Petersburg and those are both Type 1 construction because it's a, a vertical mixed use of parking, hotel, and branded residence on top. And by the nature of this type and the density, um, we can achieve it with any other type of construction. Yep. So it sounds like the separations largely are what's driving the construction type. And also lane cost, too. So because in San Francisco, you have to achieve a certain, certain density. Um and for the land cost, if we can't reach the density, you know, the project just doesn't pencil out. Yep. Okay, so we, we discussed, you know, getting project opportunities through relationships, networking contacts. You also mentioned that you'll have consultants who will get, uh, you know, they'll hear about RFPs, they'll forward them to you and basically say, hey, do you want to do you want in on this? Mm-hmm. When, do, when, do you, when you get an RFP, when do you decide to move ahead on it versus passing it up? Well, um, first of all, is size and jurisdiction. There's many factors. Size of a project, jurisdiction, submittal requirements. So we review that. Um, the one I looked at yesterday has a big upfront design requirement. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I just feel like Architects should be paid for their creative work. And uh, when I see an RFP or a jurisdiction asking for a lot of unpaid design as part of the RFP process, I feel like it's insulting to the profession. And um, because, you know, just like 
artists wish to be respected for our work and to ask that unless it's a paid design competition, um, if you just want a paid design competition limit, limit the amount because of the time and effort it goes in to create a proposal. So when I see that, you know, it depends on how, um, how big the project is and what's the likelihood of that project becomes a reality or is it just a, you know, sometimes a, a site can have multiple RFPs. Uh, we will look at the likelihood of that turning to a real project and decide whether it's a go or no go. Okay. And where do you see the opportunity now for the firm? In terms of multifamily specifically? Correct. Um, um, I I came to SB. I was also intrigued by um, our strong hospitality portfolio. And I feel like there's a lot of synergy between the two. Um, for example, in, in the high-end uh, luxury residential market, we almost drive more towards a hospitality where there's a lot of um, amenities. We're having more and more concierge um, services, um, such as you know, pet washing, dog, dog walking, um, dry cleaning services that's built in the multifamily market. In the hospitality world, um, it's kind of the design is turning the branded residents more into home away from home, right? So we brand the, our, our uh, multifamily as a, a private retreat, uh, it's a vacation when you come home. And then we vice versa for the branded residents, and we say this is a, your home away from home. So I think in terms of um, our traditional definition of product type, such as strictly multifamily or strictly hospitality, I think that line is going to be blurred a little bit more and more. Um, it become more fluid um, transformation between two products. And I also see where the, the consumer are getting um, and the, the residents are embracing diversity. So looking at um, how we design multifamily, um, our traditional notion of home, how, how we live, I think that warrants another evaluation and discussion. Because if you look at um, first-generation immigrants, they come with their cultural um, um, heritage and the way they live, you know, the traditional sense of bedrooms, living room, dining room may not be the same. Everybody has different um, interpretation and expectation. But yet when we come to America, we kind of feel like we have to fit into this definition of kitchen being here, bathroom being here in a certain location and then certain flow of, um, of uh, um, private space. And I think that that's that warrants a, a larger study. Interesting. So cultural differences on what people are looking for in, in housing environments. Right. And I actually started that conversation with um, one of my clients years ago. And it has to do with um, kitchen layout. 
and this is actually a faculty housing. And they want to use it to as a benefit to um, attract faculties into this university. And a lot of their uh, faculty are um, potentially of um, foreign descent. And I asked them, so do we want, you know, like for me, culturally, my family, not me personally, but my family, they, you know, the cooking involves a lot of smoke. So usually set outside or away from the rest of the home. So we propose a couple scenarios. One is an enclosed kitchen. One is an open kitchen. And the funny thing is, even though culturally, by the way, people cook in enclosed kitchen, kind of like older homes when you can, the older Victorian homes when you can actually close out the kitchen so the smell of the ki- cooking doesn't, you know, permeate throughout the house. Time and time again, that type of design is the last one to be sold. And everybody always grab, gravitate towards open kitchen design. And I wonder if that's a trend. We feel like we got to uh, keep up with the Joneses, that the trend is open design rather than what um, my personal preference is. So that that's more of an academic conversation. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Very interesting. So uh, in terms of wrapping up this conversation about your duties there, so you're involved a bit in the management. You oversee the projects that you're taking care of. Mm-hmm. And... What would you say is the key to managing all the various demands? Because you obviously have a lot of demands on your time. What right. do you find to be the key to being able to manage that successfully? And I also have two small children at home. Okay, well, even more. So there we go. Uh, and my husband is an architect. Oh, wow. Um, which helps because he understands. And so we understand deadlines. There's no, um, why can you do this? We, we share responsibilities, so it definitely helps. So be a, being able to rely on your business partners and on your um, domestic partners definitely is a key point. Um, I have complete trust in my um, business partner. We, we look out for each other. And um, so I also trust my team. You have to build a good team, um, be able to delegate and trust but verify the first is foremost is trust. Trust my team is going to do excellent work. Um, uh, that definitely helps. Like I, I, I'm not afraid to delegate work because I want others to be able to do my job so I can go do something else, such as doing more business development, bring more work, or um, doing more training, so I don't. I can delegate and let that my staff, my team, own up to their roles and their responsibilities. And um, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am if I don't have a good support. And it's not. It's architecture is. It's not about one person because it is so complicated. It's impossible for one person to do it. When you see a project, it's not about um, the principal in charge or the project manager or the the designer in charge is the whole team that make it possible. And so I, I strive to emphasize that I strive to give my team credit. Well, thank you, Teresa, for being with us on the business of architecture. 
It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for sharing your experience uh, as a leader at SB Architects, what you guys are doing, and also in your own career. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Enoch. You actually helped me to reflect on my career and helped me to, you know, use this time to kind of seek out what my next step is, how I can help to elevate my team and provide more positive impact to our built environment. And that is a wrap. Thank you for listening today. If you're looking for more time, freedom, impact, and income as an architect, get instant access to my free four-part architect profit map by visiting freearchitectgift.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage Partner BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It helps you manage people and projects while you focus on designing great architecture. So whether you're working remotely or on-site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Get your fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice by going to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. The views expressed on the show by my guests do not represent those of the host, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world.